Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, welcome to Politics by Faith, brought to you by the Patriot Gold Group and the Public Square app. We are presenting to you here our latest TV special about the difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden's foreign policy. If you would like, because there's not a lot of Bible talk in this, if you would like, you can fast forward to the last few minutes where we uh, talk a little bit about the track record of globalization in the Bible. It's not very good. Um, So you can skip to that if you'd like, or please enjoy this special. Hey, welcome to our special Trump v. Biden peace and global chaos. One of the great joys of this election is how simple and clear it is. This is the third time in American history where we have two incumbent presidents running against each other. What does that mean we're talking about? So so Grover Cleveland was president in uh, 1884, served four years, then lost to Benjamin Harrison, and then ran again four years later and crushed Harrison. So Cleveland is the only president who have served two non-consecutive terms. He was the 22nd and the 24th president. Trump wants to be Grover Cleveland. He wants to be that guy. But you got to go back 132 years since the first time it happened. The other time was 112 years ago. Teddy Roosevelt won, did not run. This was 1904, did not run in 1908. Uh, Then ran again. He actually lost the primary. So it'd be like if he lost to DeSantis in the primary, decided to run as a third party, got second to Woodrow Wilson. So he won didn't run and ran again, but lost. So Trump doesn't want to be Teddy Roosevelt. So Trump looks, this is the third time it's happened and he hopes to be the second person to be successful at this. But the point is, it's been over a hundred years where we have three years of Trump. I'm saying three years because of pre-COVID, COVID messed everything up. Then we've had three years of Biden. It couldn't be more clear. It's right in front of us. We've lived both. There's no, there's nothing new here. Right. Whenever anyone runs for office, the other campaign always says, oh, if he wins and these terrible things will happen. You can't do that with Trump because we already know the great things that happened. Right. All we heard in 2016 is, oh, we can't have Trump near the nuclear button. Here's Hillary making that point. Well, the bottom line on nuclear weapons is that when the president gives the order, it must be followed. There's about four minutes between the order being given and the people responsible for launching nuclear weapons to do so. And that's why 10 people who have had that awesome responsibility have come out and in an unprecedented way said they would not trust Donald Trump with the nuclear codes or to have his finger on the nuclear button. Remember that nuclear holocaust we had when Trump was president? Oh no, that's right, we had peace summits with North Korea, my fault. Trump also killed the Wagner Group. We're going to talk more about that later. 300 Russian mercenaries in Syria. That was all we heard from the Wagner group, right? Russia attacked Ukraine in 2014 when Joe Biden was vice president. And then in 2021 when Biden was president. Hmm. Interesting. So in today's special, we're going to do that. We're going to, we're going to drive home this A-B testing of each candidate. And I think that's such a, it's such a good way of looking at it, right? We can't miss this opportunity. Again, it, it's, it's rarely ever happened. A-B testing, it's, it's like a marketing trick where... They're trying to test out which website is best. So they launch two versions and they see which one performs performs better. They have an A version and a B version, which one gets better results. And then whichever works, you you do that, right? That's what we get to do with our country. We have A, Trump ran president for three years. Then we have B, Biden for three years. All right, well, what do we got? And we do this to an extent, right? But I want to really drive this home and be as clear as possible so we can articulate this to as many people as possible. But we do this with the age-old question, are you safer now than four years ago? Or are you better off than four years ago? And we all know the answer to that. But I want to be more specific. And that's what this special is all about. Because we got to get out there. we got to spread the word. Everyone feels that, of course, the Trump presidency was better. But we need to make it obvious. One of my favorite new memes, someone sent to me this just the other day, uh, like the adventures of the guy who just started paying attention. It's like, yeah, welcome to the party, guys. 
but people are just waking up. And that's okay. They're late to the party, but that's all right. <laughs> Glad you're here. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked uh, about the 72-year-old woman. She was at the New Hampshire primaries, and she said, I can't vote for Trump because I believe in a strong NATO. What? So does Trump. The whole point of Trump criticizing NATO was to make it stronger because Germany was only paying 1% of their GDP, and you're supposed to pay 2%. So the point was to make it stronger. So I'm here, we're all here to help people like that see the truth. Now we're not just gonna bash Biden here and praise Trump, right? We're gonna highlight the differences. And I'm gonna ask each of our guests what they're critical of Donald Trump was, uh, what criticism they have of his, his first three years foreign policy-wise as well. But let me just give one clear example, right? Clear as day. Trump designated the Houthis in Yemen as a terrorist group. We know, no one ever even heard of the Houthis, but they were a terrorist group. And of course from the left, oh, how could you? Biden takes over, one of the first things he does is take the Houthis off the terror list, right? And the idea was that if more money can flow into Yemen, they will use that money to help their people. That, that, was, that was literally the thought process. And of course, they used the money to launch attacks in the Red Sea and completely shut it down. So here's the Red Sea right now, everyone having to go around, uh, around Africa instead. So Biden put them back on the terror watch list or the terror list, right? So just another example of how Trump was right. And then, of course, Biden's attack against uh, Iran, right? Iran has launched 160-plus attacks against us, killed three Americans. And Biden tells the world when and where we're going to strike. It's unbelievable. Now it's confirmed that we didn't get the people that we wanted to attack because, of course, they left. And that's one of Trump's biggest foreign policy pet peeves. Here he is in 2016 in a debate with Hillary. What do you think will happen if it falls? Uh, I think that it basically has fallen, okay? It basically has fallen. Let me tell you something. You take a look at Mosul. The biggest problem I have with the stupidity of our foreign policy. We have Mosul. They think a lot of the ISIS leaders are in Mosul. So we have announcements coming out of Washington and coming out of Iraq. We will be attacking Mosul in three weeks or four weeks. Well, all of these bad leaders from ISIS are leaving Mosul. Why can't they do it quietly? Why can't they do the attack, make it a sneak attack, and after the attack is made, inform the American public that we've knocked out the leaders, we've had a tremendous success. People leave. Why do they have to say we're going to be attacking Mosul within the next four to six weeks, which is what they're saying. How stupid is our country? There are sometimes mm -hmm. reasons the military does that. Psychological I can't warfare. Think of any. I can't think of any. It might be to help get civilians Flynn. out. Hmm. That's exactly what Biden did just the other day. The only argument that I ever hear people make against Trump's foreign policy is when you bring it up with most people, they'll say, oh, he was such an embarrassment. Oh, he was an embarrassment to us. I can't wait to ask our guests how they would respond to this. But my response is, I'd rather our president be right. So what are the differences? We're gonna make this as clear as day. You'll believe today's special and you will know exactly how to articulate this to your friends and family or coworkers. What were the foreign policy differences between Donald Trump and Joe Biden? You present them to people and let's make the obvious choice here. It's all coming up right here on The First TV. Getting a good picture, everybody, so we look nice and handsome and thin. Beautiful. Uh, nice and handsome and thin. Love that. Victoria Coates is here. She's the vice president of foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation, but former White House deputy national security advisor. Ms. Coates, how are you today? I am well. How are you? Really good. You bump into someone on the street and they say, how dare you? support Donald Trump. You worked for him. Oh my gosh, you monster. Uh, his foreign policy was terrible. What do you say to them? Well, I, I would say I walked to work uh, every day for four years working for President Trump with my head held high because I could see the kind of difference his policies were making around the world. And you can start with North Korea. You know, meeting with Kim was highly controversial within the administration. You know, he is a very bad man, a dictator, somebody who has done grievous harm to the people of North Korea. But at the same time, he's also a nuclear armed belligerent. Uh, and President Trump thought keeping a the 
Korean Peninsula from erupting into a nuclear war was probably the best thing he could do for human rights. And so, you know, I, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be my approach, but it, it was at least a creative forward-leaning approach to North Korea. When we've seen from the Biden administration, just completely responsive, attempting to placate, giving China lots of room on North Korea bad behavior. And now they're arming both the Russians and the Iranians who are tying the Americans up in both Ukraine and the Middle East. So I, I would say in this one, the proof is in the pudding. And, you know, President Trump made it through four years without a major incident in Korea. That's a proven track record. Yeah. So the point of the special is we've had three years of Trump as president pre-COVID, three years of Biden. What are some clear, like, do you have any specific examples, specific issues around the world where you're like, oh, man, here's, here's three years and here's A and here's B. Choose again. Well, I think I think I'll I'll talk about Ukraine, uh, Israel and energy. So with Good. Ukraine, you have the fact that, you know, you had eight years of Obama during which Putin seized Crimea. So you had a literal invasion of Ukraine. You had four years of President Trump in which Putin did not invade Ukraine and did not provoke uh, NATO in any way. And that's, I think, a really important distinction because I'm hearing from a lot of folks, oh, I'm so scared about what President Trump, you know, if he's back in office, might do vis-a-vis Putin. It was like, you know, what? just look at his track record. What happened? Nothing. Putin stayed in his box. And I would be fairly confident he would stay in his box again. But under President Biden, what did he do? He invaded Ukraine grievously. We're going to have the two-year invasion of that uh, of that invade or the two-year anniversary rather of that invasion. So you know that is hardly a record of success. Then moving on to Israel, what did we have after three years of President Trump? We had the Abraham Accords. We had Israel in an unprecedented degree of integration into the Middle East, Israel into central command, into the uh, combatant command for the US military that has for a long time overseen the Middle East, but Israel wasn't in it because the Arabs didn't want Israel. Now they do. And that's a wonderful development. That's peace. And by contrast, under Biden, we have you know the world on fire. We have Israel attacked. We have Iranian proxies attacking Americans and our friends across the region. This is utter chaos. Then lastly, the energy portfolio. Under President Trump, we reduced emissions more than any other uh, president in, in history. Uh, so through the conversion to clean natural gas, we were responsible stewards of the environment, but at the same time had a massive increase in uh, our domestic production, including natural gas. And those 14 permits for new natural gas uh, projects that that uh, Trump approved are what allowed us to surge natural gas to Europe to preserve the Europeans after the U- the Ukraine war and the cutoff of the Russian supplies. And that's what President uh, Biden has elected to halt that kind of expansion because he doesn't want the United States using our energy as a tool of statecraft, as a reward for partners and allies, and as a a wonderful uh, economic driver and a reducer of energy prices here at home. When a foreign policy issue comes to Donald Trump, right, something maybe he hasn't thought much about or we weren't prepared for, but you present it to him, through what prism, what, what worldview does that issue filter through first as he thinks about what to do next? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Well, it may sound a little cliche, but it is literally America first. His question will be, why are we talking about this? What are we, what, you know, why, why are we there frequently if, if we have assets mm-hmm. in the region? What are we trying to achieve? And then how does this benefit the American people? How does this advance American power? How does this increase American security and prosperity? You know, those are the kinds of things he wants to know because if you don't have satisfactory answers to those, he's going to ask, why are we bothering? Why are we spending taxpayer money on this if we don't have to? Is this a potential entanglement that can be avoided? So, you know, when he says America first, I mean, that's, that's really what he, to my experience, he means. That's amazing that that's not just a silly campaign tagline. Like let's say hope and change was Obama, right? Like you can't bring that into the national policy, national, you know, <laughs> you're, you're a national security advisor. You can't be like, hmm, what does this have to do with hope and change? Although maybe they did, um, but it's more than that. It, it really is the foundation of what he does in every way compared to what, what else, how else could someone view an issue? Well, I think what you're seeing under uh, President Biden is what I would call the rise of the globalists. And this was very much the Obama approach. And I agree, hope and change, I mean, those are abstracts. They're not inherently good or evil. Uh, it's it's what, you know, how, how you apply them. So they, in and of themselves, are just, are just a word salad, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But what Obama, I think, very firmly believed, and, and clearly the Biden team does as well, is that the United States is, has been a force for, for ill in the wo- world, that, that we have been an oppressor, we have been a, a, a colonialist, uh, we have been an exploiter, we've been a polluter. And for all of those reasons, shackling the United States, reducing the United States' influence and power is, is a good thing to do for the globe. And it will lead to greater mm-hmm. global equity in their opinion, I think they would use that word, and I mean, I would hope that they they think at least it would get to a more peaceful outcome. Unfortunately, while aspirational, uh, I call it the Starfleet Academy fallacy. It doesn't really work out that way because all the other actors in the world are far more. Uh, negative than the United States, which has been one of the great benefactors of the world. That's why you put it first. We have freed more people. We have created more wealth. Uh, we've lifted more people out of poverty than any other uh, nation state in history. And so that, in my opinion, is something to be encouraged. But what you're seeing under Obama and now Biden, or Obama rather, and now Biden, is the reversal of that. Trying to restrain America, put America last. So that, that A-B test is as clear as day. Please, everyone, go back, listen to that the last two minutes again and get that down right so we can articulate that as clearly. Uh, last question for you, Victoria. Uh, what was a missed opportunity, in your opinion, of uh, Trump in the first three years of his presidency, his first presidency, that you would like to see maybe done a little differently in the next four? I think it would there would be two issues. The first would be personnel. I think we, you know, we all went in, in green. We weren't uh, sure who the uh, career bureaucrats were who were uh, amenable to Trump policies. The good news is they do exist. The bad news is they're a tiny minority. And if you don't know who they are, you can't get them into the positions that you need to get them into. So I would say a much more aggressive personnel effort going you know, to support uh, the new president from day one. And that's work we're doing at the Heritage Foundation as part of our Project 2025 now to give you know, any transition team, as much information, as much backup as we can. And then they, of course, make the decisions, but we can do a lot of the grunt work now. Uh, so that that would be one, one key issue uh, that I would get after. And the other, again, is process related, which is as all of the great uh, executive orders that a conservative president would likely issue, you know, they need help getting those things passed into law. And in the happy, happy development that we have a, uh, a conservative president and we have majorities in the Congress, I think you can't take that for granted for more than two years. And that the role of institutions like the Heritage Foundation should be to help both craft those EOs so we can do as many of them as possible, but then again, do the grunt work to get those across uh, across the finish line in the Congress, which, yeah. you know, given our location on Capitol Hill, and our congressional relationships we're uniquely poised to do. So I think making sure we both get the right people in and then take the steps so that the uh, in the event of another uh, political change in the White House, it make, it's a lot harder for them to re, re, uh, reverse all the good work 
uh, that this administration would do, that those should be our goals going into another another term. Yep, let's hope. Victoria Coates, VP of Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation and former White House Deputy National Security Advisor. Victoria, thank you so much for your help. Of course, thank you. And your insight that 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 difference between worldviews of America first versus uh, global nation force for bad need to be made more equitable on the world stage. That is as that's that's everything right there. That that is the difference between every foreign policy decision comes back to that. Perfectly said. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily, right here on the first TV. This podcast brought to you by Patriot Gold Group. There's two things that Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, and JP Morgan all agree. One, that the Fed will cut rates in 2024 and record high gold prices in 2024. The three biggest drops in the S&P, it was 19, 29, 2000, and 2007. They all happened after the first Fed rate cut, right? Three biggest drops were after a rate cut and then gold soared at that same time. And with all the uncertainty of an election year, and it's gonna be crazy if Donald Trump wins, uh, I think having gold is wise. So I have some, and of course I bought it from Patriot Gold Group, they're the best, 888-617-6122 for a free investor's guide. You can talk to the fine folks over there on the phone as well, 1-888-617-6122. Any questions you have? Consumer Affairs top rated gold IRA dealer now seven years in a row. Told you they're the best, 888-617. 6122. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? You think our country's so innocent? Well, look, I mean, he has made clear that. The answer is, I believe he has in the past essentially acknowledged that he was, uh, there are certain things that he would do or did do. I'm thrilled for our next panel. So again, the whole point of today's special is we had three years of Trump pre-COVID, we've had three years of Biden, we could do a classic A-B test. So let's pick some foreign policy issues and analyze those uh, on each. Christina Wong is here, she's the Breitbart News Pentagon correspondent, and Francis Martel, who's the Breitbart News international editor. Ladies, thank you both for being here. Christina, um, well, actually, let's start with you, Francis, because uh, I know you focus a lot on Russia. Uh, so w- this is classic, because it was Russia, 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 and Trump's a Russian stooge or whatever, all this stuff. He's a Russian agent, uh, was the, the 2016 narrative. What has been the difference between how Trump treated Russia and Biden has treated Russia? Well, I think the biggest difference is in what Trump did versus what Biden has done. And the pivotal change that happened between Trump and Biden is that Trump sanctioned the Nord Stream 2 pipeline project, which would have given Russia windfall profits selling um, gas to Europe. Um, They already have the Nord Stream 1, um, and then there was the Nord Stream 2. Um, And then Biden lifted those sanctions. And this has been sort of memory hold, but at the time, Um, President Zelensky of Ukraine came out and said he was absolutely furious with Biden. He had no idea why he would lift these sanctions. And less than, you know, a year later, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, So that, I think, is really the defining moment in terms of Russia foreign policy between Trump and Biden. Trump used sanctions while saying, you know, things that were maybe unsatisfactory to a lot of the American left. And then Trump uh, and then Biden said a lot of things that the American left wanted to hear and then proceeded to allow Russia to steamroll into Ukraine and bomb Kiev. Is it a coincidence, Francis, that Russia invaded parts of Ukraine in when, when Biden was vice president, didn't do much when Trump was president, and then invaded again when Biden was president? Is that a coincidence or is that a fair observation? That's absolutely fair. And and I would add uh, George W. Bush to this because the major problem of Putin invading his neighbors began with the invasion of Georgia in 2008, which happened when George W. Bush was, uh, you know, gallivanting through Beijing for the Olympics. So the attitudes of George W. Bush, of Barack Obama, allowed for the expansion of Russian 
uh, military invasion. And then it really came to a screeching halt under Trump because of sanctions. And then we went back to business as usual with Biden. Very good. Uh, Christina, let's talk about ISIS. Uh, Trump talks about ISIS a lot. That's one of his talking points. It's like, we crushed ISIS. What, is, what was the difference between Obama and ISIS, which is Vice President Tr uh, Biden, and Trump with ISIS? Yeah, I just wanted to add real quick on Russia. Trump was actually the first to authorize sending lethal weapons to Ukraine before Russia invaded Ukraine. So it wasn't the Biden administration, it was the Trump administration following up with Trump actually being stronger on Russia than people give him credit for. Trump mm -hmm. also killed dozens of Wagner Group forces in Syria, which for some reason it's that his administration didn't want to publicize. Um, and Biden did nothing in the lead up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. For months, Russian forces were building up on the border of Ukraine. The Biden administration did nothing. And at the very last moment, it publicized that the troops were uh, ready to invade. But of course, that did nothing. So that's more of the Obama-Biden uh, approach that we saw uh, in 2014 when Russia invaded Crimea. So there's really no uh, mistake that that Putin decided to invade Ukraine both under Obama and Biden. Now with, with ISIS, so the way Trump and Biden execute war, completely different. Um, when Trump took office in 2016, he made uh, defeating ISIS a top priority. So ISIS uh, threatened Baghdad. This was around 2014, and that war was dragging on. And, and Trump came in and said, I'm going to end this war. He put in General Mattis. He put him in charge of prosecuting the war. And he defeated ISIS and wanted to take out the troops afterwards. Of course, the deep state uh, was very much against that. Um, that very much contrasts with the Obama Biden record, um, the way they prosecuted war was to have very restrictive rules of engagement, whereas Trump pushed down authority to lower levels of the chain of command so things were executed faster, more effectively, just Trump knew how to get things, things done. And uh, the way Trump acted against the Iranian Backed groups, very different from how Biden is currently acting against those groups. As you recall, if uh, or when uh, Iran, Iranian-backed groups killed a U.S. contractor, Trump ordered the death of Qasem Soleimani. Now he's the commander of the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Quds Force, their commando elite forces. Uh, Trump ordered Qasem Soleimani to be to be killed, and that was a really that was something that people thought would spark a wider war. It didn't. It, and, and with Biden, Biden's message, even with three troops killed in Jordan recently, is we don't want war with Iran. They're trying to do, they're desperately trying to do everything they can to prevent the war from widening, but that's just inviting more attacks, more Iranian-backed attacks against U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria, as well as Houthi strikes against ships in the Red Sea. Very good. Francis, let's ask you about Iran, the difference between uh, Biden and the Trump administration on Iran. Absolutely. So um, something that Christina hinted at, which is, um, you know, she described the execution of it in policy. I think there's a major ideological divide in the approach to Iran. Um, under Obama, and Biden was very much a big part of this, the approach to Iran was that Iran was arguably the more reasonable party in all of the Mideast conflicts that involve Iran, and that Iran had legitimate grievances with the United States that needed to be hashed out on an even playing field. And in order to get Iran to play ball with the United States, we had to lift sanctions. We had to allow for the facilitation of money flows into Tehran and essentially extend an olive branch to this uh, insane jihadist regime in order to get them to stop threatening their neighbors. Um, there's a total disregard for the attitude of the Iranian regime, the constant shouts of death to America, death to Israel, the threats to nuke Israel. Um, that was ignored and was treated as bravado. And so Obama came in and just gave them a bunch of money. Um, the Trump approach is what Christina described, which was simply, they're bad guys, let's kill them. Um, taking out Qasem Soleimani and also the, the founder of the Hezbollah Brigades, which is one of the big Iranian proxies in Iraq, who was actually with Soleimani when that strike happened, 
that completely neutralized for quite a while Iran's ability to facilitate movements of their proxies in that region because Soleimani was the guy. And so the way Trump approached this was, we're going to identify their most valuable assets. It's like playing chess. We're going to find the queen, we're going to find the bishops, we're going to find the knights, and we're going to take them out. Um, and there was no negotiation about extending olive branches or trying to be nice to this regime because there was this profound belief in the Trump administration that there was no way of convincing them to be reasonable. Yes. And his biggest pet peeve for decades is not to give them advance warning about when and where we're going to strike and give them enough time to run away. Um, Christine, if someone bumps into you on the street and they say, I can't believe you would support Donald Trump. What, what is your response as to uh, the difference between Trump and Biden when it came to foreign policy? What is the no spin news all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Yes, so as someone who covers the Pentagon, I see a stark difference in the way Trump ran the Pentagon and the way Biden is running the Pentagon. So Trump restored military readiness that was decimated under the Obama administration. If you remember sequestration when there were uh, across the board defense cuts and and there were there was just the readiness took a real hit so Trump came in boosted the defense budget rebuilt readiness and that was a huge thing he focused on the capabilities of the military he wanted it to be strong he didn't want to send troops into war but he wanted uh, he, he believed in peace through strength so he wanted the military as strong as possible whereas Biden Biden from day one has focused on a political narrative within the Department of Defense that has really hurt morale within the military, which I personally care a lot about. And so from, from day one, he focused on so-called extremism in the military, having the troops look at each other, wonder, am I serving with an extremist? And I think that really caused troops to sort of, you know, look at each other suspiciously, and, and the military is run on cohesion. So I think that was very detrimental to the military. And he also focused on things like the COVID vaccine, which also destroyed trust and leadership. Uh, lots, of, lots of military forces were really hesitant. They weren't really given any kind of reasoning as to why they should take it. It was just do this or you'll be kicked out of the military. And of course, there's all the diversity, equity, and inclusion policies that the Biden administration has focused on. That is all. That has also nothing to do with military readiness and strength. So those are just two, that's a, that's a major reason why I, I, support, I would support Trump over Biden. Yeah. Francis, we have about, uh, about two minutes. Um, I'm trying to, th first I wanna ask you, is there anything that Trump did in his foreign policy three years that you're like, mm, that wasn't great, actually. Let's try to do better next time. Uh, and then the, the follow-up to that is, when I ask people what are some problems with Trump's foreign policy, the number one answer I get is, oh, it was so embarrassing. He was an embarrassment to the world, and the UN laughed at him or whatever. What do you say to both those? So on the first one, um, right off the top of my head, the two things that annoyed me the most under Trump was he had Xi Jinping over to Mar-a-Lago for dinner. And granted, it was a grandstanding moment where he bombed Syria in the middle of the dinner, but he treated Xi Jinping <laughs> with respect, which I hated. And the other one is he treated Kim Jong-un with respect, which I very much hated at the time. But now, you know, North Korea is, is shooting cruise missiles every other day. And 
threatening to, you know, nuke us in a way that they were not doing under Trump. So as much as that one bothers me, I even hesitate to give him that one. But I, I think he definitely has to lose some respect for these communists um, in round round two. Um, and uh, on the second question, I'm so sorry. What was the second question? On the embarrassment. Oh, he's so embarrassing. Oh, oh I, can't, I can't believe he represents us. Yes, he was an embarrassment to us in front of England, France, and Germany. And I don't care about those countries. Um, Japan, South Korea, Colombia, Brazil, um, many African states that are fighting Islamic terrorism were much happier when Trump was around. And there's this myopic mm. view in the Democratic Party that only Western Europe matters. And Western Europe thinks that Trump is uncouth. And, and, you know, maybe they're right, but our actual allies, like South Korea, like Brazil, our neighbors, um, actually felt much more comfortable working with Trump because they knew what they were dealing with. And Trump was speaking from a position of authority and not from this apologetic stance that, that Biden tends to use. Great point. Christina Wong, Breitbart News Pentagon correspondent, Francis Martel, Breitbart News international editor, of course, read both their wonderful work at Breitbart.com. Thank you both so much. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Grateful for you guys. I love talking to them. So I host Breitbart News Daily uh, every weekday morning on Sirius XM Patriot. And we simulcast the last two hours of the radio show for free right here on the first TV. So you'll hear Francis and Christina over there a lot. They're fantastic. No one's better. More coming up next right here on the first. Here is how I have always used the Public Square app. Uh, we're hungry. We want to know where to eat. And we roll through all the normal options in our head, and they're all big chain restaurants who hate you. And uh, instead, we open up the Public Square app, we hit near me, restaurants, and we find a local restaurant owned by people who share your values. That's incredibly important. These days, it's getting more and more important every single day. Who are your friends? Who are your enemies? Or who hates you? That's more important, who hates you? And stop giving them money. That's how we do it with restaurants and coffee shops, but now you can buy like almost anything from the Public Square app, from people who share the same values as you. So Public Square, it's totally free. Totally free, publicsq.com if you wanna learn more, but just download the app, it's free. Public Square in the App Store. Welcome back to our special Trump versus Biden, peace and global chaos. To wrap up our show today, we're gonna to go to the great Mike Baker, former CIA operations officer and host of the incredibly popular and wonderful podcast, The President's Daily Brief. Mr. Baker, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. It's not only incredible, it's it's wonderful. And I, I appreciate the, the superlatives. Uh, and and thank indeed. you for making I could give many more, but it'd take all of our 10 minutes together, man. Um, so we're talking about the differences between these administrations. Let's start with the border. We haven't touched on the border yet. And one thing that's come to the forefront of this border conversation, I think it's, I'm glad it has, is the amount of Chinese nationals who are coming over. And it seems like they're taking like a different route in a different way, and there's some intent behind this. What, what, what insight can you give here? Yeah, well, part of the problem is we don't know how many and who are coming across. So it's it's not even, as people always say in Washington, D.C., but they don't really mean it. It's not a partisan issue. You know, this should be a bipartisan issue. They never mean that. But it really, in all honesty, shouldn't be a partisan issue. Border security is national security. You cannot stand around and say that as a federal government, you're concerned about the homeland security, national security issues if you don't secure the border. Right, that's why every other country out there does that. And so, you know, the difference, if you say, okay, what is the difference between, I suppose, the two administrations? Um, if you set aside politics and just look at, at operational, you know, impact of policies, uh, it's clear that over the past three years, for whatever reason, uh, the Biden administration has allowed a, at best, a semi-porous border, at worst, basically, an, you know, an open border uh, for all intents and purposes. And, the, the biggest issue there is, look, we aside from the fact that just in the last three months, uh, you know, we had, what, 785,000 or so known encounters. We don't know the number of known gotaways of people who came across. And as you said, they, they could be Chinese intel. They could be terrorist related. We, we don't know. Right. So it's not hyperbole. It's it's not, you know, being overly dramatic. 
to point that out because that is specifically a homeland security issue. From it, from that right. homeland security, national security issue, should we be more concerned about the Chinese national coming over than the guy from uh, Nicaragua? Or is the guy from China coming over here for a better life and more opportunity as well? Well, the answer is yes to all of those things. Look, there are a lot of, of, of folks coming across, regardless of, of you know where they're coming from, that are looking to get away from a crappy situation um, and find a better life. That's fine, right? But there should be a process in place, just like there is, again, with every other country. There should be a process in place for those people to come into the country and, and, and eventually settle here and assimilate. Uh, and then you've got people who have nefarious intent or are coming across for criminal purposes, or uh, in, in some cases, coming across uh, from an intel perspective, right? And then that's where your concern is with, you know, is the Chinese PLA looking at this and going, you know what, we sure would like to, you know, put some more sleeper cells in the US or the Russians or the Iranians. And then you've got the terrorist aspect of this. And there is no doubt that the terrorists take advantage of essentially what is an open border or an, an easy border to access. Yeah, we were talking to Tim Kennedy the other day, um, a former Green Beret and, and now MMA guy. And he was just giving some insight into how few people it would take to cause some real big problems if they were placed in the right opportunities with our infrastructure, et cetera. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, and he's, he's, he's right, and it's not rocket science. If you just look at um, one of our primary concerns, the frailty of our of our power system, of our power grids, we have an east grid, a west grid, and then Texas, of course, has their own grid. And so you have those. They were never designed or built to withstand uh, a physical, a terrorist attack. They certainly weren't designed and built to withstand a, a cyber attack. So that's why you can pass by within feet of any substation, you know, across America. Uh, that's why, you know, we've got a real concern in Washington D.C. when you when you ask people in the intel community or in the Pentagon, what are your top concerns? What are your primary concerns of the moment? Right? Some of them haven't changed for years: Iran, Russia, China. But you always get up there as well now is the infrastructure and the threats because every day state-sponsored entities and pseudo-state actors and others with just bad intent are probing and testing and essentially mapping out our infrastructure. So the ability to uh, target our power grids, our water treatment facilities, our transportation mechanisms and protocols, our, our movement of cash. Uh, if, you, if you think about it, our financial systems, if you think about where the next war is going to be fought, part of that, and the reason why China and, and Russia and others with, where, with, with wherewithal are putting together these playbooks, mapping out our infrastructure, it's because that's where a major global conflict will be fought, right in the homeland, shutting down as much as possible of the infrastructure, because that takes the fight right to the people, that demoralizes them, that, that breaks morale, and that'll be the intent. So you have cyber activity, you're, you're gonna have a targeting of the infrastructure, and you're certainly gonna have what we already have, which is weaponization of space. It's gonna be a different, you're still, you're still gonna have door kickers, Right? You still have boots on the ground, uh, but it's, an, it's going to be a new theater of war. That is quite terrifying how unprepared we are for that. We should do another special on that. We'd love to have you back. We do more detail because I know the head of the FBI the other day was talking about how China has already deeply infiltrated our infrastructure systems. And it's just a matter of time and to what extent. Like, will they just shut down our military bases or will they shut down the whole city that the military base is in? It's like, oh, geez, great. Right. And then I remember the Colonial Pipeline a couple of years ago when they hacked into that. And the, the head of it came back in the Congress and they said, well, why didn't you just like turn it on by hand? And they're like, all the guys who knew how to do that are dead. They, we, don't, we don't know how to do it by hand anymore. It's only yeah. uh, by yeah. computer now. So we're in, we're in well, big it's, trouble it's with that. It's like systems, it's like the, uh, the, the, the machinery, in, not to oversimplify this, for our power grids, right? We don't build that here in the States anymore, right? Trying to replace some of the, the major equipment and hardware that uh, allows our power systems to work is, it would be a nightmare. And so, yeah, the answer is they'll do all of the above. They'll, they'll, they'll go after the, the military bases, but they'll certainly go after the cities because again, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to break the morale and the will of the people. So that is why that effort goes on. And if people understood how, how aggressive 
that effort was to map out and to understand and to test and to probe our infrastructure over every day. You know, a lot of people wouldn't sleep at night. Uh, the, the, open, the open border is a big problem for a lot of reasons, but we need to put that more at the, at the top of the list. Um, let's jump over to Ukraine. So Trump was asked the other day how he would respond to the three Americans who were killed in Jordan. And he was like, well, it never would have happened. Like, like the Houthis or the Iranian-backed militia, whatever would have killed the three people. So I can't even answer that ridiculous question. And one could ask the same thing about Ukraine. Like, well, President Trump, what would you do in this Ukraine situation? He's like, well, it didn't happen in my three years. There was an attack in, you know, Russia went into Ukraine before I was president, when Joe Biden was vice, and they went in after I was president, but it didn't happen when I was president. So what are the differences between maybe these two administrations when it comes to Ukraine? And what is the goal here? What's our, what's our policy now? And what do you think it should be? Yeah. Uh, well, in terms of the differences, <laughs> there's that famous quote from uh, Bob Gates, from Robert Gates, um, who mentioned in, I think, in one of his books that Joe Biden had been on the wrong side of every foreign policy decision. Now, I don't know that I would go that far because, you know, even a whatever they say, a stop clock is right twice Quiet. a day. Uh, so, you know, with Ukraine, you got to give look, you got to give credit. You can't just sit in your trench, you know, as a partisan and throw hand grenades at the other side all the time. There's got to be some willingness to look and see if there's anything going on in the DMZ. So with with the Biden administration in terms of Ukraine, look, they they did do a good job of of uh, holding together an alliance, right? And, and allowing a, an, an environment where actually NATO grew, which has been incredibly frustrating to Putin. Um, sure, of course, they could have been quicker in getting key weapon systems out to Ukraine, all of those things. But, you know, that hasn't been a, a, a bad situation from the Biden administration's point of view. Like they have done an important thing here, an important job. I know there's a lot of people out there now saying, why should we possibly give any money to Ukraine? What? Who cares? Um, well, look, Putin uh, will be in Kiev. If we stop if all their resources for Ukraine dry up, right? If the West stops giving money, the EU just uh, approved a $54 billion package. So, but that's not necessarily focused entirely on military support. Uh, but if all the resources dry up, Putin would be in Kiev probably inside of a year or so, right? It's just, it, it's, that's the way it works. We've seen a lot of weaknesses in the, in the Russian military and the command and control. But overall, they've got too much of a manpower advantage. Uh, they're getting too much support uh, from North Korea and, and Iran, in particular, in terms of munitions. They're getting, you know, tacit support from the Chinese. So yes, and then if we all sit around and imagine, because we think somehow, you know, the world's made of you know, happiness and unicorns, that Putin would stop there at, at a certain point and tell you, okay, I got Ukraine back. That's all I, I really want. Um, then I think we're fooling ourselves. And so we are. I think we are in a position where we need to provide support, but at the same time, we have an obligation to ensure transparency. One of the reasons why people have turned on this issue so quickly, look, we've spent 20 years in Afghanistan, right? And so everybody's fatigued, but it only took a couple of years for people to be fatigued with Ukraine after they've been out there waving their flags and putting bumper stickers on their cars saying, I stand with Ukraine. Part of the problem for that was a lack of transparency. How is our money being spent? And, and the Biden administration has not done a good job, as they typically don't with messaging, of explaining that to the public. So I think that's a that's a big issue. Now, on the Trump side, you know, would, would, would Putin have moved on Ukraine? I don't know. Trump is, is you know, he can be blustery. There's a, a statement of the obvious. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, the, you've got to kind of peel all the things apart. The Democrats would say, well, he's Putin's puppet, which is nonsense. And they continue to, to allude to, you know, Russian collusion and that, that crap. Um, but, you know, I think there is something to be said for an administration where our, our, our enemies, or at least nations that are hostile to us, don't really know how to anticipate what that leader is going to do, right? They, they, they're, they're on their back foot, in a sense, because of the, the lack of, of understanding or just the concern that, well, maybe he might do that because he does seem a little off. Um, yeah. they, they pretty much know what Biden's going to do because he's been a politician for 110 years. Yep, that's exactly right. Mike Baker, former CIA operations officer. And if you're watching this on the TV right now, please go uh, watch and, and listen to the President's Daily Brief podcast. It's one of the number one podcasts in, in the whole country right now. Uh, Mike, keep up the great work, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, Mike. Thank you. Uh, if you are listening to this on the President's Daily Brief podcast. I host my own podcast. It's called Politics by Faith. And the point of this podcast is to help us 
have less anxiety, right? Especially all that the first talk about taking our infrastructure down, that causes anxiety. So the point of uh, my podcast is to take away this anxiety as we look through these issues through a biblical lens. The theme of our entire special today that Mike Baker was a part of uh, is to talk about the main differences between Trump and Biden when it comes to foreign policy. And the main difference, as all of our guests have said, is it's very simple. Trump has a America first worldview and Biden has a global citizen worldview. That America first, that's not just a snappy little campaign slogan like hope and change was with Obama. That, that, that is a worldview. It is how to look at problems around the world. And so is global citizen. Right? Global citizen, maybe it sounds like a good thing to people who aren't thinking. It's very kumbaya. We're all in this together. It sounds very nice. But globalization doesn't have a great look in the Bible, right? First of all, there's, there's examples in the Bible of, of a globalized uh, effort uh, of, through military conquest. Look at the Assyrian Empire. They tried to do it. World conquest isn't very nice. The Nazis also wanted a one-world government, their government. Same with the Marxists and the communists since. But it's an ancient desire. Even this desire to all be the same. We have the Tower of Babel, 21st century BC. Rather than fill the earth as God commanded, mankind rebelled and centralized in one city and tried to make a name for themselves with this tower up to the sky. And it was led by King Nimrod, which means rebel. God scattered the people for their rebellion. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, he dreamed of globalization under his own reign. He'd be the king, of course. Didn't go well for him. The history of mankind is the history of empires under evil rulers. Why do we think that our newfangled world vision, one world vision, would be any different? Maybe it'll look nicer getting there. It'll be very shiny and fancy new technology, no doubt. But the end result will be the exact same. So in conclusion to our special, I'm, I'm here to give permission. It is okay to have different nation states and to defend the interest of yours. Just like, especially when your nation state wants to live life just like individual Christians should, want to live quiet and peaceable lives. You're not a bad person for opposing globalization or for, being a, for not wanting to be a global citizen. It's okay to believe in and advocate for America first. More on our podcast, Politics by Faith. Also, Breitbart News Daily on Sirius XM Patriot every weekday, which we simulcast right here, starting at 7 a.m. every morning right here on The First TV. I'm Mike Slater. Spread the word. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.